Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wild, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rorkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we have a mailbag episode, and we'll be focusing on this upcoming award season, which is exciting. One, because of our awards draft episode coming out next week, and a lot of the movies we talk about there, we'll talk about today as well. And really just to get excited for the next few months. This is really our last mailbag before we start knowing things really about this award season. You know, this week we have movies that will be coming out at Venice. We have Telluride. We have TIFF, New York Film Festival. So this is really that last week before we start to know how these movies might do and what the reception really is to them. So I'm excited to do a little prognosticating today. And for better or worse, thank you all for submitting some questions. We got a lot of really fun ones that we're excited to dig into today. So jumping right in, our first question is from Joe Lorenzini. What do the festival lineups tell us about the upcoming Oscar race? I think this, for people who do Oscar predicting and who love award season, this is top of mind. Just what can the festivals really tell us? I think first and foremost, they tell us the strategy. So it shows us, you know, what studios are prioritizing, what films are going certain places, in addition to just what ends up winning at the festival. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is just, okay, the immediate biggest contender that we have here is The Power of the Dog, the Jane Campion Mm -hmm. film. And that's because it's playing at Venice, Telluride, TIFF, and the New York Film Festival. So that shows us that Netflix really thinks highly of this film. I would say be careful using festivals to predict the Oscars just because one exception that we'll talk about but I think the festivals I mean the people who are going to be reacting are film enthusiasts from around the world and critics and that's not always indicative of what the industry thinks so a film could get a really warm reception from a festival from critics but that doesn't necessarily indicate Oscar success. I think just generally looking at all of the festivals, or at least the big ones whose slates have been released so far, there's a lot of overlap, or at least with those big contenders. And I totally agree with The Power of the Dog being the biggest one. After its trailer release, it really exploded, or that's how it felt to me. And Mm -hmm. everybody is talking about it. Everyone's been talking about Benedict Cumberbatch since he was named for the TIFF Actor Award this year let alone Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Jane Campion, obviously. And I think even looking at the New York Film Festival, there's such a wide range of movies. And I think that's what's different compared to last year is not only the number of movies coming out, but like you have Dune being released in the same section at New York as the Souvenir Part 2. So there's just so much coming out and maybe shows us that we're going to have that same kind of makeup at the Oscars, which is exciting, I think. Definitely. And so you mentioned Benedict Cumberbatch with the TIFF Best Actor Award. I know I just said a few minutes ago that you can't use these to predict the Oscars, but I will point out that the last two winners of that award were Anthony Hopkins and Joaquin Phoenix, and those were also our last two Best Actor wins. So maybe that means Benedict will Mm -hmm. win. We can't obviously like call anything. We don't even know anything yet, but... It's a pretty good indicator that his performance is great, at least, and that people are going to be talking about it all season. I just love festival season because the buzz is contagious. 
going to festivals, even if it's just for one screening, is just, Mm -hmm. it's the best experience. Mm -hmm. It's so much fun. I hope we get to go to some in New York. Can we get into the Dune screening? We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Our next question is from Lane's. Who do you guys think has the best chance to win Best Actress at Venice? If Kristen Stewart doesn't win here, we are in major doo-doo for the Oscar Best Actress race. (laughs) Because I think, above all, she's the most talked about. There are a lot of Italian films in their Best Film section. Mm -hmm. And not saying any of them couldn't win, but I just haven't heard any buzz about them. The only other one to me could be Penelope Cruz because she has two movies. But official competition looks so bizarre. I think this is Kristen Stewart's to lose at this point. I will note that while the Volpe Cup for men typically doesn't align with Oscar nominations for women, it does for Best Actress. So in particular, Emma Stone won for La La Land, Olivia Colman won for The Favorite, last year Vanessa Kirby won for Pieces of a Woman. So if Kristen Stewart can get this, this will definitely put her in the conversation. And I think to this is already just such a buzzed about performance just from a teaser and even before that it's a biopic performance she's playing princess diana it's a big deal i think for an american to have that role so i am so curious what the response will be at venice i kind of wish house of gucci was going there just to see if gaga could do it (laughs) in the same way that i wish halloween kills was in competition so jamie lee curtis could also compete for it even though she is winning an honorary award I'm not expecting Halloween Kills to be winning anything, but I will be there when it opens. If Jamie Lee Curtis had a push for Best Actress, I'm here for it. That would be amazing. (laughs) Our next question comes from James. What are your most anticipated films currently? What are the ones you don't really care for? And then if you could speak about The People's Choice at TIFF and its growing correlation to Best Picture and what that means for pundits like us. Okay, so to start out, I will say my most anticipated films are, because I am a very predictable human being, Soggy Bottom, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, The Tragedy of Macbeth, House of Gucci, and Belfast, actually. I'm so curious what Kenneth Branagh does with this, especially since it's going to be a personal story and for me at this point I'm so torn like it's a coin flip whether it will be amazing or terrible this will come as a surprise to nobody but my most anticipated is Dune but I think apart from that Mass I've heard a lot of really strong opinions about and then I will also say the tragedy of Macbeth the humans and I'll say the French Dispatch just because we've been waiting forever and it's another Wes Anderson film Those are all good ones. I think the ones I'm least excited about are Don't Look Up. (laughs) I just don't care. You know, we will talk about it, but it is just one I don't need in comparison to the others. Mm -hmm. Also, Cyrano, the pictures from that just kind of threw me, and I'm not quite sure what kind of Joe Wright film this is going to be. If it's going to be an atonement or a woman in the window. Who knows? Also, Dear Evan Hansen, I just am kind of scared for what the reaction to this is going to be, what the Ben Platt of it all, I I just don't know, and I'd like to pretend it doesn't exist. I have all of the musicals I already need, I think, for the year. We have so many coming. (laughs) But my one musical has already happened, and I'm so fine with Baby Annette. (laughs) 
She's my only star. I will second that for Don't Look Up. I know there's this huge cast and people are expecting it to do really well. And I just don't trust in Adam McKay. And even the power of all of these actors and the people working on the film, I just think it's going to be farcical and not a real Oscars contender. I think it'll be fun, but again, not one I'm going to be running to the theater to see. And I think another one, too, I've seen the trailer a lot for. It's maybe increased my desire to see it like 2%, but the eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh, my God. I just I don't believe in the chipmunk third molar infection cheeks that are going on between the both of them. You're going to have to do a dental consultation on this movie specifically (laughs) because I need to know about the abscess (laughs) that's happening. I need to see some real pictures, I guess, to understand it because it just doesn't look (laughs) real to me. And then getting into the last part of his question about the People's Choice Award at TIFF. In the past few years, they've been aligning a lot with Best Picture winners and more so with nominees. So since 2000... We've had five Best Picture winners align with this People's Choice Award and then an additional eight Best Picture nominees. And even some of the runner-ups show up as nominees as well. And then earlier in the decade, we had a few foreign language winners and nominees too. But before the 2000s, we only had two Best Picture winners being Chariots of Fire and American Beauty. I think... Let's just read through the winners from 2010 on because I think it will make a lot of sense in our discussion of, you know, what this means for people like us who are predicting the Oscars and who are thinking about this. So from 2010 on, we have The King's Speech, Where Do We Go Now, Silver Linings Playbook, 12 Years a Slave, The Imitation Game, Room, La La Land, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Green Book, Jojo Rabbit, and Nomadland. To me, a lot of these films, in particular some of the past few years, have drawn a lot of ire from people, but have been crowd pleasers, ultimately. And Mm -hmm. that's how you win the preferential ballot sometimes. You know, we're in this age of the preferential ballot with 10 nominees. We don't have the types of Oscar races that we used to where it was really one film against another with a lot of buzz like coming later on. So these to me, I think, indicate the opposite of what we were talking about earlier that can come from a festival, which is a lot of critical praise and buzz in that space. And this is telling us what the people like and what could end up being divisive in places like Twitter, but could be really celebrated with the industry. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Looking at the films that are playing at TIFF, do you have one that you're maybe thinking could win just sight unseen or that you think would be that would either spell doom or would confuse you i don't know just what would you react to the most if it won people's choice i mean based off of those names you read from the past decade at this point i'm kind of hoping it's the power of the dog because then that is going to spell likely success for the oscars But part of me could also see like Dear Evan Hansen being this big crowd pleaser Mm -hmm. and then us just being like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think it's going in that direction, but I feel like anything could happen. (laughs) How do you feel about it? 
I'm definitely keeping my eye on Belfast, I would say. I don't know the tone of it, but if that goes over really well. If Dear Evan Hansen pulls it off, I think it will be really funny, honestly. (laughs) Because I love when things like that happen. It's just like, okay, what does this mean? I can see this movie definitely fitting into what we discussed there of like being a little controversial, but being a crowd pleaser. I feel like that totally fits in that box. So it'd be really funny if it happened. I don't think it's going to be Dune. Dune doesn't really seem like a crowd pleaser, but if it impresses enough people and just based on its cast and how it looks, that would be cool. Our next question comes from Isabel, previous guest on the pod. What director actor pairing are you most excited for this award season? Isabel, I won't let you down. My pairing here is <laughs> Denis Villeneuve and Timmy Chalamet. And I won't let you down either with my very obvious choice, which is <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson and Bradley Cooper. I can't wait to see what they do together and mm-hmm. the type of performance that PTA gets out of Bradley Cooper, considering what he's gotten out of people like Joaquin Phoenix and Daniel Day-Lewis, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Very excited to see what he could do with a great actor like Bradley Cooper. I was going to ask, do you think he can pull off Daniel Day-Lewis level stature or? I mean, I think that's a little unfair, right? Like no one can. He is a singular talent, but I want to see him come close. I think Mm -hmm. he can. I think it'll be very different. One thing that Bradley Cooper has that Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't is... The Daniel Day-Lewis is very private, and not that Bradley Cooper isn't, but Bradley Cooper was very much in the public eye recently for starring in, directing, producing A Star is Born, which mm-hmm. was, I think, a major work of that year and very popular. And Daniel Day-Lewis likes being under the radar. And I think that PTA's interest around American mythology, specifically around Hollywood And pop culture really connects with Bradley Cooper's persona. So I'm very interested to see what he does there and what they both do. And how do you think Timmy will be as Paul? I'm optimistic. I think there's potential for him to really hit it out of the park. I'm sure you don't share that same optimism. (laughs) And I know this always lets me down in the long run, but... I'm relying on envisioning Timmy as Paul like when I read the book. And that's very Mm. dangerous. But I think it's possible. Okay. I'm reluctant to say anything, but I support you and Isabel in your your love for Timmy. Um, My cracked answer here would be Ariana Grande and Adam McKay. Oh my god, that's... (laughs) We'll see if she can break out of her box and give us some character in this movie <laughs> oh my god wow. I mean, even meryl streep so for that matter <laughs> like we know she can do camp but will it be like margot robbie in a bathtub level blow my mind i think it will be for the same amount of time it will be very small she'll probably be on screen for two minutes max <laughs> This is not the question, but I'm really excited for Dakota Johnson and Olivia Coleman to be in a movie together. Just selfishly, I'm really excited to see that. Our next question comes from Roy Mao. Thoughts on combining the best actor and best actress categories? So I think this question is in part coming from the fact that the Gotham Awards announced that they were 
going to move to have gender neutral acting categories. I think it's what's challenging here is that, you know, the goal is good. The idea is good in the sense that, you know, we need a space to recognize actors who are non-binary. What's really hard here is that I think if you have gender neutral categories, more men are just going to get recognized because those are the performances that these award shows typically go for these bigger like male leads because they're already getting the better roles in Hollywood. And I think a place like the Gotham Awards is a great place to start because those are juried ceremonies. They can stop some of that from happening, some of the imbalance, I think. They can try to make sure that it is more balanced. But at something like the Oscars, where you have a huge voting body, it's just not going to happen that way. I think it's going to end up mostly individuals who identify as men getting nominated because they get the better parts in Hollywood that get recognized. What do you think? That's interesting. Yeah, I was trying to think if we had a best performance category, if it got bumped up to 10. But then I think you're right in that, you know, there would be an imbalance between genders. And I think this is a good question because the Oscars really hasn't been presented with non-binary characters before, really. Or if they have, there is always controversy around those performances. I think the bigger issue, honestly, is that Hollywood... One needs to create better roles for non-binary people. And when they are presented with the opportunity to cast a non-binary person in a role, they should do that. Our next question comes from Gossip Girl. (laughs) What movie should be an Oscar contender this season, but won't be? I think from what we've seen already, I feel like Coda could be in there, Annette pig in the heights and i think one that we haven't seen yet that i'm kind of scared for is the many saints of newark it's a very beloved world to me but i'm not sure how this is going to go over with academy voters and i think that speaks to the other ones too of there being great aspects but again enjoyable cinema doesn't mean award-winning all the time sure doesn't I would definitely say The Green Knight. I don't think that's accessible enough for the Academy. My number one answer to this question is definitely Annette. I would love to see an original song nomination, actor, supporting actress Mm -hmm. for Devin McDowell, actress for Marion, supporting actor for Simon, score, (gasps) production design. (laughs) I would go on and on and on. (laughs) Give baby Annette her flowers. And I will also say Benedetta. It has an incredible lead actress performance in particular by Virginie Efira. I just loved her in this. I thought she was great. But that is obviously, it's just not going to happen. And I'm more hopeful of the worst person in the world. But Renata Reinsva, I would love for her to get actress love at the Oscars too. But I don't think it'll happen. And then question from Rob Montoya. What film that is being considered a strong Oscar contender right now will end up being a total bust and receive zero to maybe one nominations? I think I'm going to go with House of Gucci. I honestly think either of the Ridley Scott movies could be an answer to this question. But I think right now people are thinking more of House of Gucci, so I'll say that. Like I feel for that one, at the end of the day, maybe it just gets makeup. Mm -hmm. And they just don't respond to it. I think with Gucci... There are parts that I really don't want it to get nominated. (laughs) Jared Leto, 
but there are also <laughs> parts I really want to. Lady Gaga, I think makeup is almost a shoe in at this point. I'm kind of rooting for Jared Leto. I feel like it would be funny. <laughs> God. I mean, there's also Pacino and even Adam Driver. There are just so many components that could. Mm-hmm. I'm more leaning towards The Last Duel only because that trailer was horrendous for too many reasons really (laughs) but i mean is it gonna get a hairstyling nom for ben's wig yeah maybe i mean jodie comer's a possibility but like mm, i don't know and then my other answer would be last night in soho i mean edgar wright's last movie baby driver got three nominations and this could very well do the same but i don't know i think of it more as like a fun creepy thriller movie than oscars yeah me too this is like when Luca Guadagnino made Suspiria after Call Me By Your Name. That's what this reminds me of. Like, AKA, I will mm. really love it, but other people will not. <laughs> Our next question comes from Chris Vecchio. What are your top five best actress and best supporting actress winners? And then your favorite performance in each of those categories that the Oscars snubbed. So my favorite best supporting actress winners are Ruth Gordon for Rosemary's Baby, Olympia Dukakis for Moonstruck, Tilda Swinton for Michael Clayton, and Yunya Jung for Minari. I'm going to include Yunya Jung too because I loved her win last year. Thought it was one of the best ones we've had in a while. I'll also include Cloris Leachman for The Last Picture Show, Monique for Precious, Olympia Dukakis for Moonstruck, and Rita Moreno for West Side Story. And then my top Best Actress winners are Diane Keaton. Natalie Portman, Julia Roberts, and Olivia Coleman. Mine in ranked order <laughs> for best actress. So I do have a best actress order, like a whole list, ranking all my winners. I did switch one out because in my real list, I have the same actress twice in my top five. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say who that is, but it's easy to figure out, probably. Um, my number one is Vivian Lee in Gone with the Wind. My number two is Elizabeth Taylor in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. My number three is Maggie Smith in The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. My number four is Jodie Foster for The Silence of the Lambs. And my number five is Natalie Portman in Black Swan. I was going to put Liz Taylor on mine too. And I need to see this Maggie Smith movie. I Oh my God. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I love that she's one, but I definitely need to see the movie. Ugh, I feel bad leaving Jane Fonda and Diane Keaton out. Yeah, Jane Fonda was another one for me, but I haven't seen either of her movies. I'm really oh God, bad what? at history winners, I know. Oh, wait, okay, we definitely need to change the Jane Fonda thing. So for my snubs, I'm going to go totally different directions here. I'm going to say for my nominated snub that didn't win is Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction. And I'm going to do another lead just because. And this one was for a snubbed nomination, and that is obviously Tony Collette for Hereditary. So there are a bunch. I think we should do an episode probably on, like, worst winners. <laughs> like, we each pick a performance that we really hate because there were a couple in Supporting Actress where I was just really thrown remembering that these mm-hmm. people won, a.k.a. Kim Basinger for LA Confidential. But... My snub in Best Supporting Actress would be when Karen Black lost for five easy pieces to Helen Hayes for Airport. God-awful loss. (laughs) 
And then for Best Actress, I also have Glenn Close losing, but I have her losing for Dangerous Liaisons to Jodie Foster for The Accused. I haven't seen either of those. Man, Dangerous Liaisons is her best work, I think. It's like the Leo from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood meme. That's like, that was the best acting I've seen in my whole life. (laughs) Question from The Futurist. Is there a film that you both loved as a child that you really don't like anymore? This is a tough question. I will say, I mean, this gave me nightmares, but do you remember Magic in the Mirror? Um, That traumatized me. (laughs) I do want to watch this again, but I feel like I would still have nightmares. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I talked about this on one of our other mailbags, but it would have to be something animated. I tried to rewatch this because I saw that it was on Disney Plus and was like, oh my God, I love this movie as a kid. And that's Oliver and Company. It did not hold up Mm. on rewatch, which made me really sad because I loved the scene with Georgette when she's getting ready in the morning. I almost broke the VHS tape because I would rewind it so much. I'm sure there are others too, like Mary-Kate and Ashley movies. Like It Takes Two. I think I rewatched that recently. It wasn't terrible. It's not terrible. I I actually still like it. That's not a good answer. (laughs) I'm just lying. (laughs) I know I repped spy kids and our best popular oscar episode but spy mm-hmm. kids two and three are horrendous yeah they're really bad i just don't rewatch a lot of especially old movies like that so that's why it's hard for me i'm a really big rewatcher now but i really only rewatch movies that i've really come to love in adulthood and like 70s movies 40s movies that kind of thing so yeah, I don't really return to my like childhood favorites a lot. Um, another question we got, what's a classic Oscar movie you'd recommend for somebody that wants to learn more about film history? So I have a couple of answers to this. I think one, if you're trying to get into film history, I think figure out like what you like and where you want to start period-wise. I think if you want to get into classic Hollywood, as in like the 30s and 40s, even 50s, I would say try The Awful Truth if you want to do like a screwball comedy. I would try All About Eve for sure. That's like definitely one of my favorites of that time period. Sunset Boulevard. Try a Hitchcock too. If you're going to try anything, do Rear Window. Vertigo is my favorite, but I think Rear Window is a great place to start. And then I think if you're trying to move like further in and like going into what I think is the greatest decade in American cinema, which is the 70s. Definitely, if you haven't seen The Godfather, watch The Godfather, a huge juggernaut at the Oscars and just a great film that really holds up and is very watchable and will, I think, tell you a lot about what was going on in that period. And I'll say Clute too. We were talking about Clute. Try that one out. Great Best Actress performance from Jane Fonda. Oh, also going back, another Billy Wilder, Double Indemnity. Great. Film noir. It's a great one. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> what do you have? I think rounding that out, I would say, you know, a big obvious one would be Citizen Kane. I think that really holds up. There's a lot to learn from that. And also from a cinematography perspective, I think 12 Angry Men one of my favorites and one that I love watching because of its visual elements and how Lumet can frame a scene and fill a space. I think that's really important. Just other 
big films. I know we have talked about doing a John Ford episode, but The Searchers was a big one that we watched in film class. And one of my 2021 five-star ratings would be The Red Shoes. Oh my God. I love The Red Shoes. I'm so glad that you like this movie. I was so scared that you wouldn't like it. And uh, we have to talk about it at some point on the pod because that was one of those movies that when I first saw it, I was like, wow, film is such a groundbreaking art form and it's yeah. still so new and people can do that with it. It's just, yep. oh, it's just incredible. It's so beautiful. There's one sequence in particular and I was just like, even today seeing this, I am amazed and totally entranced mm-hmm. by, there's so many layers to everything and I think that's important too when you look at cinema and see people who go big and do bold things and it works out and uh, they're remembered forever. And then one more that really got me into film in high school was The Graduate. And I think this is a great place to start. Great music, great acting, everything Mike Nichols does here from using the music to juxtapose what's happening with the acting and the action, I think is great. I agree. That's definitely one of my favorites too. This wasn't submitted as part of our mailbag. I just want to ask you this because you talked about the red shoes, but what are some of your favorite like first time watches of this year that didn't come out this year? Well, thanks to Letterboxd for making this so easy to answer. So apart from the red shoes, my other new one that I watched last week was High and Low. Totally blown away. I usually have trouble with Kurosawa or at least his western films but i loved the mystery here and again a lot of what he is doing with the camera and i think he's used the same actors throughout a lot of his movies but seeing them here i really liked what was happening that's a great one the first one that i watched this year that totally blew me away was paris texas i watched that i know we're both doing the criterion challenge i'm very behind on updating everything but i am chugging along it's deeply sad but it has gorgeous cinematography the style so beautiful the score and everything just perfectly depicts nostalgia which i really loved so i would definitely recommend that it's by wim wenders also watched columbus for the first time this year i didn't watch this actually when it came out in 2017 um this is a koganata film it is incredibly meditative and i found through this that i really enjoy his style i've talked about after yang and how much i loved that too but this really starts it all and i love how architecture is used in it and also i don't know if you would like this movie but i would love to cover this oscar race this was one of those movies that i was so scared to watch because its runtime is ridiculous it's 195 minutes it's reds Hmm. i was blown away by this movie i watched it in one sitting just Saturday night, I was was home alone. was like, I'm going to watch Reds. I've never seen it before. And I was floored. I loved it so much. Diane Keaton's performance in it. Jack Nicholson, I think, gives the best performance of his career as Eugene (laughs) O'Neill. God, I love this movie so much. It made me happy, too, that I actually waited this long to watch it until I could really appreciate it because... I don't know if I'll ever watch it again because it drained me like physically and emotionally. But I also will say like, I think Greta Gerwig had to have watched this when she was preparing for Little Women because it feels like it. That's all I'll say. Okay, so that's it for our fall mailbag. 
Feel free to keep sending us questions. We will get to them when we do our next mailbag. But this was fun today as we get ready to head into fall festival season and everything Oscar related that comes with that. And I think our next episode is going to be a nice continuation of this conversation, which we'll be having our award season fantasy draft. We have a lot of special guests joining us, so stay tuned this week to figure out who those people are. And we've updated a few of the rules from last year's draft. And I'm very excited to talk with everybody who's joining us about all of the upcoming films for this award season. I can't wait for this fantasy draft. I hope we have a good team. I promise to not be too competitive and to welcome our guests. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I'm so excited to have them on. And I can't wait for you guys to see finally who our other teams are that we're having on the episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.